Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Darsh Shah. And I'm Dr. Ultima Shraja. And welcome to Medicine Redefined. A podcast where we will explore the often overlooked but necessary components of health, what we consider to be the fundamentals. We will investigate topics and practices that can give you and your patients the best chance to optimize a healthy lifestyle. It's time to move the needle forward and put the health back in healthcare. Welcome to an episode of The Progress Note. In medicine, The Progress Note is a medical record that documents a patient's clinical status or achievements during their care. It typically consists of four components, the subjective data, the objective data, the assessment, and lastly, the plan. It essentially is a systematic review in a point of time. Our goals with these episodes are to highlight mainstream practices, take a deeper dive, and approach polarized topics with nuance. While advancement is always happening in medicine, rethinking data as well as our beliefs is a rare occurrence. Join us as we continue to make progress, hold ourselves accountable, and redefine medicine. All right, progress note number four here with Dr. Raja. What's up, man? How are you? Doing well, man. I'm doing well. Caught my uh, caught a little little bug here, a little rhino. And uh, it's only the second time around after having oh, a no. child, so I feel like that's a win, you know. And, uh, that, that's not bad. He, I mean, so for for the listeners right now, you are enjoying the West Coast. You yes. are in SoCal, um, and over here on the East Coast, man, all we're talking about right now in the clinic and hospitals is this quote unquote triple demic, right? Which I don't, I don't even think is a thing, but sure, I mean, increase in flu, RSV. Mm and uh COVID, of course yeah, yeah. so uh, all my friends with little ones are, are definitely catching a bug mm. um so consider yourself lucky with only twice <laughs> uh yeah 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 um i wanted to say i'm not complaining but since i led the episode off with this maybe i'm complaining a little bit but <laughs> i guess i'll stop there <laughs> sure sure well hey congrats you just finished your boards for sports medicine oh um, yeah so uh, yeah that's that's a big relief so it is. It is. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of uh, just waiting for such a long time. I, I never understand why, and I never will, and I don't think anybody really just really understands why we have to wait such a long time to uh, to wait between everything, right? It's between the exams, between how long is it match between the rank list? Um, I think uh, the the website said uh, December 30th is expectation, so that's like almost two months. That's crazy. Um, Given that, what? How many people probably take it a year? Like six or seven hundred? Oh, less than 1, that. Because they offer it twice a year. Less. So I think oh, wow. 700 all, all for the whole year. And so half of them probably took it in the summer offering. So probably less than that. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they were like hand grading it individually on Scantron. I, I don't know. Who knows what's <laughs> happening, man? You know? Being that it's medicine, that's crazy. So maybe we should redefine that process as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'll be the next project. As well. Yeah. So what's uh, what's on the agenda today, man? Let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. So we today's progress notes, so this is our fourth one. Um, we're going to be talking about sugar and whether it causes hyperactivity. Now, mainly in children, right? Because rarely do we ever tell an adult, oh, you shouldn't eat sugar because you're going to become hyper. Uh, but we often tell it to kids. Um, so it's something that I've been hearing a lot, you know, just from my friends who are parents. Uh, they'll they'll be more aware of giving treats, cakes, you know, candies. And since, you know, it's middle of November, so kids might still have their Halloween candy around. Plus, we're also going into the holidays. So, you know, we're thinking Thanksgiving, 
pies that were going into Christmas and New Year. So candy canes and just and more festivities and more uh, sugar all around. So mm -hmm. I thought this would be an appropriate time to at least release an episode to say, hey, does sugar actually cause hyperactivity uh, in children? Yeah, that's a great point. Actually, I, I, I when I was thinking about the topic, I was like, oh, man, we're kind of past Halloween. But then you're right. Thanksgiving around the corner and then we got Christmas and then New Year's and then Valentine's Day. So it's just opportunities here on the but, but you know that's the case for everything i guess really all year round there's always a holiday around the corner isn't yeah. there yeah always always that's right so so maybe before we start i think it might be worthwhile just to, to kind of the high level because you kind of mentioned the why you know why have this conversation but i suppose for for some folks i think very few who might not really understand what adhd or add is i think most people have uh, this stereotypical presentation uh but um do, do you think it's worth defining what maybe the medical terminology is loosely um, and the different variations and sure. that kind of stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're not psychiatrists, so I don't know the exact terminology, like you said, um, but I know there's ADD versus ADHD, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. common thought is at least with sugar. And the reason why we don't give sugar to children is that they'll start, quote unquote, acting out, right? They'll start becoming hyper. Um, they will start doing things that are out of characteristic of their baseline. And so when you look at ADHD, right, that hyperactivity disorder is in there. Um, I believe you have to have two out of three situations. And I don't exactly know what the criteria are, um, but I know a teacher, a parent, and then I think maybe out in the community might be the third one. Yeah, where, um, I think you have right. I think it's got to be in multiple different environment environment settings, right? Can't just be at home. Can't just be in school. So it's got to be in multiple different environments. But I think maybe I was, uh, let me just backtrack a little bit. I, I think um, yeah. you talked about the hyperactivity part of it. I think, mm -hmm. um, so most people think about the inattentive type as like the most common presentation. Mm. And then we've come to learn that there is a hyperactive type, which I think if you talk to parents, right. that, that, I mean, that's, the, the premise of this discussion here today. Uh, and, and this is kind of the official diagnosis where the psychiatry or NIH and stuff will describe three three types, right? So you have the predominantly inattentive presentation, and that's essentially the person who um, can't stay on task, right? They're easily distractible. They can't focus. They can't finish. Um, therefore, you know, a lot of fresh mid college students, medical students are uh, will claim that these, these are challenges. But I think we've uh, talked a little bit off the record or maybe even on the record before about how really uh, distractibility is one of the main reasons for that. Uh, but I digress. And, and uh, the second type, which what you're talking about is a hyperactivity where you're going to just jump in off, just from couch to couch and just cannot um, mm -hmm. calm a child down. And and, um, and this can be accompanied with, with you know, uh, lack of finishing one task because you're just jumping from one to next. Day. But this is the hyper-focused, hyper-vigilant type of presentation. And then the last type of presentation would be combined. And that's the one that becomes really challenging because you are you have these these stages where you go from one to the next and you're like, wait, but you're not, but you are attentive and you're, you're really hyper-focused on your task and you get something done mm -hmm. at the same time. And those are the ones I think you know, medically and, and clinically become the most challenging. And, and they're typically, I would say, diagnosed later on in life just because it's hard to catch, right. you know, for, for the reasons that we just mentioned. So um, I think that's kind of a quick overview. Anything you want to add on to that before we, we dive into the, the correlation, if you will? Yeah, no, I think those are good points. So again, I think one of the, one of the things I want to bring up too is the, the, the reason why we are truly going through the papers that we will is that there was actually a single study done in the 1970s um, where a doctor quote, removed sugar um, from children's diets, and he started to notice that their behavior improved. Mm. Later on, we find out that 
it wasn't truly just sugar that he removed. It was more about additives, food coloring, preservatives. And so, you know, for the next 20 years, there was this correlation that, oh, it's sugar that is changing these kids' behaviors. And the paper wasn't really focused as much on, or at least I guess the, the theme that came out of the paper wasn't solely focused on the preservatives, food coloring, additives like it should have been. Right. So that's good, right? So that we had a finding and then somebody went back 20 years and said, well, in fact, um, you know, what we believe to be true isn't actually true. But for some reason, the messaging carries on, right, for a long, long time. And that's the one that's harder to break. Um, And you'll tell us why. So so get into it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So got three papers here, right? So we're going to go in our SOAP format. So we just got done with this objective. So objectively, so first paper here is called Effects of Diets High in Sucrose or uh, aspartame. I always want to say aspartame for some reason. I like that better. Actually, sounds cooler. But sorry. <laughs> aspartame on the behavior and cognitive performance of children. So, again, right now we're going to look at does sugar affect behavior and cognitive performance in children? So this was a double-blind study done in 1994. Right? This is not recent. This was done almost 20 years ago. Uh, and then it was basically they took two groups. They took children, 25 children who were in their age range of three to five years old and then 23 children who were six to 10 years old. And all these children have been described as sugar sensitive by their parents. So what they did was they uh, had each group in different diets, okay? There were three different diets and essentially these three different diets were placed for three consecutive three week periods, Mm. okay? So after every three weeks, they would uh, change up the diet right away. And then after three weeks, change up the diet right away again. So what was the diet? So Three different ones. The first one was it was high in sucrose with no artificial sweeteners. The second one was low in sucrose with an artificial sweetener. And the third diet was low in sucrose with a placebo sweetener. Okay, so those were kind of the three different tiers there. All of the diets were essentially free of additives, food coloring, and preservatives. Now, this was in the New England Journal of Medicine. (laughs) I think the reason why it got uh, in such a prestigious journal is this was a pretty involved study. Like everything was controlled. They had dietitians go to the house, remove all other foods. Um, they traced the food with other compounds so that they could get urine samples to ensure that they were eating the right amount of sugar, the right amount of food. Now on average, uh, they were eating about five grams per kilo of body weight, right? So let's say the average is probably, I mean, more than 10 kilos, right? Like 15, 20 kilos maybe for some of these kids. So you're looking at 100 grams of sugar um, in, in, in this diet, at least the ones with the high in sucrose. So that is way above normal um, in, in, in a typical diet. Mm-hmm. So 100 grams of sugar, I mean, I don't even think we get, I, I definitely don't at least, um, but that, that's a lot. So the parents were then asked to monitor and assess behavior and cognitive tests. Now, there are a bunch of them. I did not know any of these tests, but going through them, they basically assessed cognitive ability, you know, attention, uh, focus, um, doing some problem solving, behavioral tests. They'll look at motor skills. They'll look to see if there are any tremors. They'll look to see if there's any hyperactivity. So it kind of ran the gamut. And I, you know, looking at it from a glance, there are probably eight to 10 tests that they looked at uh, in combination. Mm -hmm. But overall, they found no difference. They found no difference in any of the diets um, in any of the children ranging from three to 10 years old. So high sugar, low sugar, there was no difference in the cognitive abilities or the behavioral abilities of the children. 
So that's the that's the first one there in the New England Journal of Medicine. Cool, awesome. Yeah, and I think for for those um, aspartame or aspartame as as we're we're calling it now, yeah. <laughs> um, that's typically like Equal, I think, or NutraSweet, or I think, right? Those are the ones that uh, the brands that people are going to see. Um, gets mm-hmm. a, gets a lot of heat for a lot of different things and uh, is uh, responsible for really ADHD to as you mentioned from according to some people and cancer and. Uh, dysbiosis and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Keep going. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. Um, all right, so 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 that one is a is, is a negative finding. What we'll call it would we'll say okay, and but but you know some people might say, well, dark side's more than twenty years old. Do you have anything more recent for us? Uh, what does the current evidence suggest for this? You know what? I gotta I gotta look at the dates actually on this second one. But there is a meta analysis that was done in JAMA uh, called the effect of sugar and behavior on cognition in children. Now, of course. Um, the way medical societies work is you got to pay just to get the full text. So that's unfortunate. Um, so I couldn't get the full text on this JAMA one, but essentially they did 16 studies and I'm pulling it up right now to see what year this was done. If my internet gets any faster, you might beat me to it. Yeah. This, this looks like this is also in the nineties is, is Woolrich the first author. Um, and you know, this thing forever to go. <laughs> yeah. It looks like the, the, like, the one that you're referencing JAMA is maybe actually. It's on JAMA. Yeah. Yeah. Also, also 1990, yeah. so, so it's, it's interesting. I think most of the studies are actually done in the nineties, um, and early two thousands. Yeah. Um, but essentially this meta-analysis, right? 16 studies also show the same thing, no association, but they did say that you can't rule out any small effect that sugar or substitutes may have on children or subsets of children, right? So now we're looking at particular children with any type of special conditions, whether it's genetics, whether it's mental health. Um, So, you know, further research would need to be done on that in a a particular subset. But overall, if you're looking at like a generalized population, uh, this meta-analysis showed that there was no effect on, on the same kind of things that we looked at the first study. Okay. So another null finding. Anything else uh, with regard to that? So I guess maybe at this point, well, actually, what we'll do is maybe we'll kind of bring it together to the end um, if we can answer the questions because people are going to probably wonder, okay, well, what does cause it, right? I think we always have to propose an alternative, um, or at least we think we do. But um, you said you might you have mentioned you had one more. Yeah, absolutely. So, the, so this third one is not looking at cognitive and behavioral uh, correlation with sugar. It's actually looking at how we perceive kids who take sugar from a mother's perspective. So this title was called effects of sugar interaction expectancies on mother child interactions. Okay. So they took 35, five to seven year old boys who again were reported to be quote unquote sugar sensitive by their mothers. So the mothers were then assigned to an experimental, which was the large dose of sugar or a control, which was the placebo. But in actuality, all the children got aspartame. <laughs> so what, what the researchers did was that they videotaped the mom and child interacting um, after these children got their diets, right? After they got their high dose of sugar or they got their placebo. And then they were questioned um, about the interaction as well. So what they showed, at least through videotaping, was that the mothers in the sugar expectancy group, so the ones that were supposed to get the large dose of sugar, they were they rated their children as more hyperactive. Mm. And 
they also and the researchers also noted that the moms were more controlling and in a way of more physical closeness more criticism and they would actually talk to their kids more uh more so than the moms would with the placebo group so if this is more of kind of just a behavioral study or at least looking at that aspect of this whole debate of does sugar cause hyperactivity so is it more perception it's kind of what this paper is answering right it's kind of the anticipatory response right especially like after halloween you're like oh god they're gonna be jumping off the walls and then maybe you're a little bit more keen to that response yep exactly interesting yeah man, now, so those were those were kind of the three that i pulled up so yeah, yeah. no i i like that you know i do think um this is something that you know i know you mentioned that you have folks um that are that are, that are in your circle or, or some version of that and um, they've got children and this is a concern. I think it's a valid concern as a parent because I, I think a lot about, um, of course we think a lot about nutrition and my own food and then now I'm responsible for uh, another life form. And so I have to think very much about what I'm gonna put in front of, of my child. And, uh, and it's mm-hmm. essentially about building these habits, right? And so at the same time, we've talked about being balanced and can't control all the environments, right? Can't go to school and at the lunch and be like, nope, can't serve this, can't serve this to my child, right? That's that's not also realistic. And we talked right. about, you know, when they go to a birthday party or something like they're going to be, they, there might be cake there, there might be whatever. And so we have to be able to find that balance. And so these fear-based messaging, um, particularly with something like this, right? So I think one of the things that, that I failed to mention mm-hmm. when I was describing the multiple types is this is a neurodevelopmental disorder, right? And um, we, I, I think ultimately kind of what what I'm getting from what you're describing and also from what we've learned is that we don't truly know one cause for this, right? I mean, we think genetics play a role. We're questioning whether or not our environmental factors such as sugar plays a role. And a lot of people have asked that question and are looking at it as well. And there are some associations. I do think there was a study that I do remember at some point looking, I could not quote it to you, but maybe I could find it. It was much more recent. I want to say in the last three to five years, uh, which was a meta-analysis looking at sugar-sweetened beverages maybe, or actual sugar consumption mm-hmm. and the effects of, um, or its correlation with ADHD. And it did pi- it did find that there was an association mm-hmm. with children who did consume more sugar, had a higher um, prevalence of ADHD. Uh, but that it's very important yeah. when we've, we've talked about before that correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. And I think w- right. what has been documented more often than not are the effects of sugar on the brain. And that's not to, to say so that 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 equates to ADHD, right? Because ADHD is a is a unique process that what we're saying is we don't necessarily know that sugar can manipulate that. That's again, that's not the same thing as saying sugar doesn't affect the brain in some way. In fact, sugar is the primary preferred fuel source for the brain. Sorry, you were going to say something there. Mm-hmm. Right. No, no. Yeah. So I think it's important to note here too, right? Like hyperactivity in the chronic sense would be the ADHD, sure. which is what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. From the near, near development. I think these studies are looking more at the acute, acute bouts of hyperactivity, right. right? And I think a lot of parents think that too. They'll say, oh, I give my kid a piece of chocolate. Boom. They're going to like start being hyperactive. Right. So I think it's important to note, at least for the audience that, hey, there's kind of two distinctions here with hyperactivity. There's the acute, which is you give a kid a piece of chocolate or candy and they become hyperactive right after versus you consistently have high sugar in your diet. Does that lead to a neurodevelopment issue such as ADD, ADHD um, down the road? 
Right. Or I, I mean, who knows how long, right? I think that's 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 what you're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think my sense is at this point, the answer to that is question is we don't know. Right. I think we can speculate. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that is that kind of your takeaway as well? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Right. It's so interesting that it was a 1970s paper that showed this link. And now we know this link, at least in the acute sense, is false. Right. And from what I mentioned in the subjective sense is I see a lot of people talk about the acute sense like, oh, I don't want to give my kid candy at four o'clock because then they're not going to be able to go to sleep. Right. Which we like based off these papers, we know is not true, right? We are falsely associating giving candy to this increase in um, activity that that we perceive. But it's interesting if you read a lot of these blogs and you read a lot of the research out there too. It shows that most of the time these kids are having candy, it's going to be around an exciting time, right? It's going to be at a birthday party. Mm. Um, it's going to be maybe at a family gathering. So they're already going to be excited. They're already going to stimulated, be hyperactive. Yeah. Right. They're going to be stimulated. Yeah. So it's not necessarily sugar itself doing that. It's the it's the environment. Right. And I think one of the blogs that I read was, hey, parents, just take note next time that if there is candy around or you're thinking that this might make them hyperactive and stimulated. Instead, just look at the environment and see, you know, whether it's actually that. Right. Because, again, it's funny how we only tell children not to have these sweets because they're, you know, they're going to they're going to get stimulated. But where when it comes to adults, we don't really say anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, no, no one ever talks about that distinction. Right. So I yeah. think it's just I don't know if it's just kind of like a old wise tale just to get kids to eat healthier. Um, it doesn't seem like that based off, you know, kind of this 1970s paper. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of my assessment out of the whole thing is that, um, again, I think we do need more research when we look at 90s and we look at aspartame and artificial sweeteners. I mean, now we're starting to research that a little bit more. So going back, hey, what effects did those actually have um, on the study and you know, whatnot. So I think, I think it, it's cool to kind of resurface this a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I do agree. Yeah. I think that those are some really awesome points that you made. I mean, I think again about the fact that if we're doing candy, but at the same time, Elmo's on the background, I know that again, my child has uh, difficulty winding down, going to sleep. And I think that's, that's much uh, the case with us as well. Right. I think, um, again, diet plays a role, but at the same time we talk about putting, you know, these softwares on our screens, to dim the light and you know you got the blue blockers glasses we talk about you know doing relaxation yeah. techniques whether it's hot shower cold shower whatever all the kind of stuff um wind down routine and the idea is that maybe it's a, a cumulative effect for multiple of those things rather than just one specific thing there is no magic pill magic bullet magic candy bar right. um the other thing i will say just to play devil's advocate for a second is there might be some individual variability and I'm not here to say, and, and I, right. I, I don't want to speak for you here, but but I do think we've talked about that. Hey, you do have to be mindful of, hey, like sometimes, you know, uh, the studies might show a certain thing, but your body doesn't read that paper or your body hasn't read the textbook and, and your biology behaves or your child's sure. biology behaves a certain a different way. So to your point about, um, you know, we're not giving any parental advice here, but to your point about, um, hey, let's just be mindful sure. about, hey, what is it? And can we disentangle that from the the environment and the stimulation and the parties and all that kind of stuff? And if that, in fact, is the case, uh, then maybe some adjustments are in order, right? Um, I think that yeah, that's kind of I mean, the piece that I'm taking away from that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think about it all the time with people who are lactose intolerant, right? So uh -huh. let's say they do no dairy at all for like six months and they introduce a little bit of dairy. I mean, that little bit of dairy is going to wreck their stomach. Uh -huh versus somebody who just does a little bit of dairy every single day 
and then they have a bigger amount of dairy one day, they might not feel that effect as much because their gut microbiome or whatever is kind of already used to the mechanisms of digesting that dairy product. Same thing kind of goes for a kid. I mean, you might have a kid who eats, let's say, 20 grams of sugar a day. One day goes up to 60 and you don't really notice a difference because they're already baseline kind of having some sugar versus a kid who has no sugar at all. Uh, pretty strict diet, let's say. And then they have an increased bout of sugar. I mean, who knows how that's going to affect? And just kind of like that second paper said, you can't really rule out um, even a small effect of sugar in a subset of children, which I think comes down to that genetic variability. For sure. Awesome. And then yeah. I guess, so a lot of this looking at the acute thing, and I guess I was looking at it more of a, a chronic response, um, which I do think is, sure. is worth talking, but I think that that becomes way more complex. Um, and, yeah, uh, I'm gonna have to look uh, at more papers to actually to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, honestly, I think at some point, maybe you and I were talking about different things. But uh, I, I think that 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 that's the one that that becomes really, really challenging, because, you know, it's, it's, uh, pathological versus physiological responses essentially is what we're talking about. Um, and, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it is interesting. Um, hopefully it puts some people at ease and, uh, makes people uh, a little bit more informed. I know it's made me a bit more informed about how I'm going to think about these things moving forward. Um, so, so let me ask you, what's your, what's your plan here, right? So yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, What are you, what are you, what are you going to do? I don't think this, uh, uh, you know, dissuades me from from giving a particular food in in any sense to my child moving forward, or even myself at a certain time of the day, right? I mean, we talked about, um, you know, even if you told me, or and even if the literature supported uh, that it does in fact cause an acute hyperactivity response or whatever for a certain sustained period of time, um, I would argue is that let's just say that. Uh, we're enjoying candy or dessert, something sugary at dinner time as a family with my child. And, um, you know, that bonding experience will create a relaxation response. How do we measure that? Right. And I think one of the things that we've talked about before is that food is, um, especially I think in our culture and a lot of other cultures um, across the world, um, it is a, it's a language, right? It's a, it's a way to, for people to come together at the table. It's not just like input fuel, sure. output, um, you know, phosphocreatine or carbohydrates and that kind of some and uh, triglycerides. Um, it's a, it, it's a way for, for people to come together. And, um, you know, again, things that we talked about when we look at the blue zones is one of the, the foundations that they have is people have these close relationships and, and, and I hope I'm, I'm still making sense a little bit. Um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, how do we measure the other side of it? Uh, what are the positives that are coming from it? And does that outweigh mm-hmm. the potential negative if you were or if anybody was to be able to show it? Um, so I, I would argue that um, is, you know, I, I wouldn't be convinced. I think um, much like anything else, just assessing the situation on an individual level for me, my family, um, whoever people I'm working with directly and giving them the same guidance that, hey, see see what the response is and how things are going. And if they're not going according to the outcome, whatever that outcome is that you want, uh, then change a variable and see what happens. 
Yeah, I like that, man. Yeah, I, I would say it's kind of the same for me. I mean, obviously, we're not pediatricians. So from a medical standpoint, there's not much that, you know, we would tell our patients. Uh, but definitely from a parenting standpoint, right? Like you're, you're a father, I'll hopefully be one in the, in the next couple of years or so. Um, and I, I always th think about parenting. And it's funny, because I remember me being a child, I had such a sweet tooth. I mean, I would literally search for candy around the house. Mm. Um, and I was very hyperactive. And I mean, I still am. I'm a huge extrovert. I'm, I'm pretty... I'm pretty out there and stimulated all the time. And so read these papers, you know, I remember just a lot of times growing up being like, oh, you can't have this candy because, you know, this is this is how you act. Right. And I was always told that. So it's funny looking at these papers and being like, hmm, maybe there wasn't actually that link for me. Maybe it was just because I was always stimulated. I was always looking for something to do. But I just also loved candy. Right. And so for a long time, I've it's. I've, I haven't had the best relationship with like sugar. I've always binged it or I've always stayed away from it. Right. And after kind of getting this knowledge, I've learned that, Hey, I can actually shape my relationship with candy and understand that, Hey, I can have this. It's not going to cause me to be crazy, but I don't have to go overboard um, and make it all or nothing. And so that's what I look forward to at least when, when I have kids is having them enjoy, you know, as well, just like you said, but teaching them as to why they shouldn't have sugar every day and, but not making this the hyperactivity, the, the scapegoat, but more so understanding, you know, about, about health, obesity, you know, all the things we touch on this podcast. Um, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of always teaching, you know, kids why kind of like what Ben, ben Greenfield talks about um, having them eventually become teenagers and adults, they're gonna have to make these choices one day. So, you know, even at whatever early age, they can start to comprehend these things. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of where I think of this stuff. Right on. I love it. On that note, I think, uh, oh, man, I will disclose, I just had three truffles before we started. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll do another one. <laughs> you're ready. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Behalf. One could argue maybe that's why I wasn't on the same page as you in the beginning, but who knows? <laughs> um, hey, we hit two birds with a stone, some chronic, acute, one through papers, I, love it. I think. I think it was a good episode. <laughs> awesome. Now, I didn't I didn't uh, ask you in the beginning, and so it'd be rude of me uh, to, to not bring the, the listeners up to date on what's going on with you. You talked a little bit about the... The tridemic, is that what you call it? Tripidemic? Tripid tripidemic? Tripid yeah, triple triple demic, man. I feel triple like demic. New York Times or one of those, you know, papers. Uh, interesting. That, um, Aside from that, what's uh, yeah. what's the word? Any any trips coming up? Oh, uh, I know what? people are excited to follow your journey on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to where oh my god, I guess I had like a blank for a brain fart. Uh Mexico City and Colombia. Oh, okay. Um end of December. Nice. So that'll Very be nice. that'll be a fun trip. Um, but yeah, not much else. I've been a lot more active on Twitter, so people can follow me on Twitter before it disappears. They're thinking Twitter might just go under. Everyone's resigning right now. Oh um, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm blue check verified. I'm now famous. No, I, I paid for it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that. that's that. Oh, lastly, man, I don't know if you watch Broadway musicals, but Hamilton. So Mir and I just watched on Disney plus unfreaking believable, like absolutely yeah. the best Broadway best broadway show i probably will ever see in my lifetime and i've only seen aladdin but still it was incredible like I, I was not expecting that i never understood the hype you know for like the last two years i thought it was just some like colonial american history boring music and you know, it's like rap music it takes you through all the emotions you're learning a lot it was absolute three hours of just unreal yeah i, I don't understand how they come up with this stuff honestly it's incredible Awesome. Must watch for all the listeners out there if you have. Yeah, I, I will put that on the list. And while we're at it, another one on Disney Plus. The series just got released. Limitless, uh, one of my favorite superheroes. Oh, I gotta check that out. Uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth, 
uh, is, I think, starring it. And um, somebody that we listen to and we, mm-hmm. we quote uh, somewhat frequently is Peter Atia is one of the longevity experts talking about essentially longevity, all the things that I think we're interested in. So um, we'll be sure to check that out and, and maybe we'll do like a little recap at some point or review for folks. So yeah. two things uh, for the upcoming weekend for people to check out um, as they enjoy some uh, some desserts and cakes and uh, candy or whatever uh, makes you happy. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Progress Note. Now, if you're a parent or maybe you're just an observer of a child getting candy, be sure to see whether that child is actually getting stimulated and becoming hyperactive. I think it would be a cool experiment now that we know what the data shows. So when Thanksgiving comes and then Christmas, New Year's, make that a part of your experiment. So I think it'll be cool to see. Uh, If you know any parents who would be interested in learning about this topic, please be sure to send them this podcast. We are on Apple, Spotify, and all other major platforms. Uh, And if you are enjoying this podcast, please, 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 for whatever platform you're on, leave us a review and a rating. It really helps us in terms of expanding our reach and getting these episodes into the hands of many. And as always, the medical disclaimer, everything discussed in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine and we are not providing medical advice. No physician-patient relationship is formed and anything discussed in this podcast does not represent the views of our employers. We recommend that you seek the guidance of your personal physician regarding any specific health-related issues. And for our listeners out there who celebrate Thanksgiving, wishing you a very, very happy Thanksgiving. See you later.